Welcome to you all. Thanks for being with us on the latest edition of ESPN FC Daily. Big news for Morocco, becoming the first African nation to make it to the semi-finals of a World Cup. And we will have all the reaction to their fantastic achievement, that win over Portugal in the quarterfinals. But sadly, we do have to start on a low note because we're all still reeling from the news in the soccer world that Grant Wall passed away yesterday. A statement was put out by US Soccer last night. This confirmed the news for many as well. And it has been such a shock for so many of us. He was a prominent American journalist. He was known in the soccer community and way beyond by so many of us. Here's what USA Soccer had to say. The entire US Soccer family is heartbroken to learn that we have lost Grant Wall. Fans of soccer and journalism of the highest quality knew we could always count on Grant to deliver insightful and entertaining stories about our game and its major protagonists, teams, players, coaches, and the many personalities that make soccer unlike any sport. Here in the United States, Grant's passion for soccer and commitment to elevating its profile across our sporting landscape played a major role in helping to drive interest in and respect for our beautiful game. As important, Grant's belief in the power of the game to advance human rights was and will remain an inspiration to all. Grant made soccer his life's work and we are devastated that he and his brilliant writing will no longer be with us. US Soccer sends its sincerest condolences to Grant's wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, and all of his family members, friends and colleagues in the media. And we thank Grant for his tremendous dedication to and impact on our game in the United States. His writing and the stories he told will live on. Now, this is just the side, the soccer side of things, because Grant was also a very talented basketball writer, too. And one of Sports Illustrated's most iconic covers was the chosen one, the LeBron James cover. That was a feature by Grant Wall two decades ago, speaking about this up and coming basketball of LeBron James. And so yesterday, ESPN's Dave McManaman also did ask LeBron about Grant's passing. Well, first of all, my condolences goes out to uh, his family. Um, I saw his, uh, Sorry. you know, I, absolutely. I've seen his brother um, say something as well. Um, um, you know, until we get, you know, further, um, you know, details on what transpired. But um, very fond of, of Grant and, uh, you know, having that, um, that cover shoot, you know, me being a teenager and him covering that, it was, um, it was a pretty cool thing. And he was always um, pretty cool to be around. He spent a lot of time in my hometown of Akron, um, covering me over the course of time before that, that, that shoot came out and, um, or before that cover story came out. And I've always um, kind of watched from a distance, you know, even when I, you know, moved up in the ranks and became a professional and, you know, he kind of, went to a different sport and, and things of that nature over the years. Uh, anytime his name will come up, I'll always think, think back to me as a teenager and having Grant, um, you know, in our building um, down at St. V. So um, it's a tragic loss. It's so unfortunate, um, uh, you know, to lose someone as great as he was, um, you know. And uh, I wish his family, like I said, uh, the best. And um, you know, may, may he rest in paradise. So all of us in the soccer broadcasting and journalistic side of the of the game here, especially in the United States, knew Grant Wall. And in fact, I think I speak on behalf of so many people in the media who can quite easily open their phones, open their Twitter DMs, open their Twitter timeline and find 
messages of support and generosity from Grant. He was always supporting his peers, his colleagues, and particularly young and upcoming sports journalists and sports broadcasters. And I know for you, Luis, he played a huge part in your career and your journey. Yeah, well said, Kay. Um, I'm going to be honest with everybody. I, I don't know how well this is going to come out from me. Uh, apologies in advance. Uh, like you said, you only have to open social media, read an article, listen to a podcast, watch a video, see all the messages from the moment the tragic news happened to see how much he impacted people, not just sports writers, but just anybody that really cared about the game or storytelling. But to me, he was, he was a really good friend. Um, I wouldn't be here at ESPN. I wouldn't be a sports journalist. I wouldn't be doing any of this if it wasn't for him. He was my mentor, a really good friend. And one of the most impactful people I've ever met. You know, it's funny that Morocco won today because he represents that. He was the champion of the underdog. I joined Sports Illustrated shortly after leaving The Guardian. I, you know, I was an actor for many years. I didn't know anything about the industry. And uh, I just worked, you know, I hustled and I made it to Sports Illustrated. And my job was very clear just to, you know, help out with Spanish content, but I wanted to be more, do more. But I didn't know how, right? I entered this world, this, this incredible staple of American sporting history. And I just wanted to find my place. And Grant became my shining light. And there was a show, Planet Football TV. And obviously it was Grant's staple. And, but the first thing he did, he went up to the bosses and he said, after just months after meeting me and connecting with me, he said, I want him to be my co-host. And he came up to me and he said, Luis Miguel, I believe in you. Let's do it together. And that began everything. It's, this isn't about me. This is about a person that didn't just write about sports, didn't just report about the truth. He cared about people. It doesn't matter if you were a 20-year-old veteran or a 20-year-plus veteran or an intern. He cared about you. And you said it, Kay. You know, like all you have to do is open Twitter and just see all the messages from LeBron to Tyler Adams to young journalists who like were impacted by his books and his storytelling. But every time you met him, he made you feel special. I had lunch with him a few months ago, and we talked about Celine and his family, his brother, his dogs, Coco and Zizou. Talked about our future, our past, and where we can go. And he was so excited about everything he's done with this amazing, amazing content on Stubstag and 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 you know, obviously the freelance work. And and I was so happy for him. And he was happy for me. He didn't at that point. I hadn't joined yet uh, ESPN, but like when I joined, he was the first person to message me, and we talked. And I don't know, maybe I should have done more as a friend in the few years, but like, I got to tell you something, losing him, everybody knows what he was in terms of soccer, sporting history in America. But to me, he was my shining light. And I know that he's looking from above saying, shut up, Luis Miguel, let's talk about Morocco. 
and, and I'm going to, and I'm going to stick around, but I have to tell you, Kay, that I've lost my parents really young, Kay, you know that, and death has been a part of me all my life, but this, this, is, this is hitting me. It's hitting me because we're, we didn't just lose a talent. We lost an incredible human being. And if there's a lesson to learn from all of this is this. Be kind. Be generous. Be empathetic. Care about one another. In this day and age where clicks and, and tweets, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too, and, and arguing back and forth with people you'll never know, just, you know, put out your hand and meet a stranger because that stranger might change your life. I wish all his family my deepest condolences, but I got to tell you, learn from his life. Let's remember that because that's how we'll remember that memory. Make it a treasure because what he did as a human being and as a writer will be the memory that will last forever. I love you, Grant, and I know that you're watching from above. Thanks so much for sharing your, your stories and your memories of Grant Lewis. I know this has been difficult for you. And we do send our condolences out to all those who loved Grant, to his friends, to his family too, and of course to his wife, Celine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And so we continue, and we're talking about a huge story today. Morocco are through to the semi-finals of the World Cup. They are the first African nation to achieve this. Craig Burley is joining us now to look back on everything that we saw in this game. So first of all, let's get your thoughts, Craig, on the story of Morocco and this World Cup and what we saw from them in this game today. Well, what we saw, Kay, was more incredible fortitude and defending and everything that's really uh, been part of the process for Morocco thus far. And I, I think the thing was, and we discussed at length across the, uh, the platform in the last two or three days, it's how much was left in that Moroccan tank after the exploits of the Spain game in the 120 minutes, the penalties, the euphoria, the injuries, uh, all those things. And, you know, personally, and I know I wasn't alone. I, I didn't think they could muster up that kind of performance again, but they did. And they did. And uh, it was maybe a little bit more attacking than the Spain game, but it was certainly as defensively strong. And I think I'm racking my brains to uh, think about World Cups where a team has 
shown such magnificent defensive qualities and desire. And to be in the semi-final of a World Cup, you know, not only is the first team from the African continent to do so, uh, but to do so with all those problems that, that they had, to do so as the underdogs. And, and, and I think to do so without thus far having lost a goal to anybody from an opponent, one goal and that was an own goal. It's, it really is staggering. And I can only imagine the feeling within that Moroccan camp at this moment in time. Yeah, I think uh, Craig said it perfectly, to be honest. Okay, I think uh, Morocco right now have shown why we love this sport. I think it's not about an individual. Surely we can pick out players, including Yassim Bounou, of course, and, and Ziyech, uh, you know, Esneri. But, but to me, Morocco represents the collective unity of this 11 that has just been so resilient throughout the whole thing. They are so well managed when they don't have the ball and yes it can be a little bit boring i guess for some but to me i find it resilient and the ultimate signification of what a team represents and once again portugal you know just like spain and just like any other victim like craig said nobody's caught against them it's just been one on goal i think against canada they haven't been able to crack them down because they are so strong together a tremendous performance and it's sad to me Kay right now that I have to bring on a Portuguese fan to see what, <laughs> what what they feel but Gabby Amado is once again in the house Gabby your reactions from this match uh and how how the Portuguese side has seen this one yeah I think Portuguese fans everywhere are much more familiar with the feelings that we all felt in those last 20 minutes that's usually how Portugal in massive tournaments goes very unlike that 6-1 win against Switzerland but obviously a sad day for Portuguese fans the World Cup dream does come to an end um, but we just saw those images of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, heading directly into the tunnel and just sobbing. And I think that really uh, is an image that's going to hit Portuguese fans very, very hard. Uh, this era has come to an end. We knew heading into this tournament that this would be Cristiano Ronaldo's last World Cup. Uh, and I think I speak for all Portuguese fans. I hope I do. Uh, when you say two words, thank you. Thank you for bringing Portugal to the level that uh, this Portuguese federation currently is at. Thank you for giving Portuguese fans the ability to dream in the way that we now do. Thank you for smashing goal records and appearance records as you just did today, equaling uh, the all-time international appearance record. And, and I think it's quite beautiful, honestly, that he did it today uh, coming off the bench. I think that really does tell the story um, entirely of how his evolution um, has kind of unfolded and where we currently stand. Uh, well, we can discuss, you know, Fernando Santos's decisions once again today. Uh, and I don't think he's to blame at all. He decides to go with the same starting 11, just one change, which uh, to be honest, I didn't agree with. I think most Portuguese fans didn't agree with it, bringing in Ruben Neves for William Carvalho. I thought William was stellar in midfield. He is uh, a rock in midfield. I think he could have done very well uh, against this Moroccan midfield that as we've seen throughout the whole tournament, Tournament just runs in circles around their opponents, uh, but I think he 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 corrected the wrong in starting Ruben Neves with his substitutions. You know, he brings on Cristiano Ronaldo in the 50th minute, not in the 70th. Uh, 
gives Ronaldo a, a solid opportunity to make that impact, leaves Gonzalo Camus on the field to allow both of them to play, brings on João Cancelo. I mean, and I'm smiling because the future of the Portuguese national team is so, so bright. You saw the players that came on, Vitinha, who also is, is a superb player, Rafael Leão off the bench. Uh, this era, this chapter does come to an end. I expect it to be Fernando Santos's last tournament as well. Uh, but the Portuguese national team looking forward in the Euros in 24 and then in the World Cup in 26, this team is going to be in their prime. Uh, and I'm, I'm buzzing to see it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, Gabby, to see you guys go out, but thanks so much for being with us again. It's always great to have you on. Craig, I'm interested to know your thoughts on the Portugal side of things today and what went wrong for them. We're just hearing there about the changes. And also, we've had a fan question on whether you would have started Ronaldo. Now, obviously, after Gonzalo Ramos scoring that hat-trick in the last game, many would have expected him to start again. But, but would you have started Ronaldo in this clash, Craig, to answer this fan's question? No, and uh, I don't think anybody expected uh, Cristiano to start. I, I don't think that was the problem. And I, I agree with Gabby. I was a bit surprised that he made the change again in the middle of the park with William Carvalho, his strength and his power and his uh, defensive uh, abilities as well. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, I think ultimately, you know, we had another false dawn. I mean, Portugal were so good. Uh, and that last match out against Switzerland, who normally are such a hard team to break down and play against. But Portugal played with so much pace and, and energy and quality of passing and pace of passing. I think the quickness, and we saw that sort of dissipate today. You know, Joe Felix wasn't able to get involved as much and Cancelo uh, Ramos wasn't able to find those runs and Bernardo Silva, the list goes on. That interchanging wasn't quite there and... I think it's such a disappointment from a Portuguese point of view because we had Spain and that seven, that well, I think it was seven, if memory serves me right, that that thriller in the opening uh, match day one against Costa Rica, and then that faltered. We had Brazil against South Korea, the sort of Harlem Globetrotter performance, and then that faltered. And then we had Portugal, who scored six, and it was like, wow, this could be this could be going all the way. Morocco are tired and. Portugal just have to do this again, and and they faltered. There was so many false dawns with such talented sides, and Portugal are just another one of those. I I do agree. They have a lot of supremely talented players, and I think Santos, Fernando Santos, has had his run. Uh, but I think ultimately, when they look back on this, Portugal as defiant as Morocco were, this was the kind of Portuguese performance under Santos, we've come to expect. It was a little slow, it was a little laboured and and maybe the Switzerland game was the anomaly. That was the exception to the rule and they sort of reverted back to type today and, and it was a bit disappointing after a few days ago. To go against conventional wisdom based on this shows and the attacks on me making it sound that I'm like Cristiano Ronaldo's number one enemy, I'm the probably the only one here right now that actually strategically speaking, I would have started Ronaldo in this game uh, because of Morocco's resiliency. Now, obviously, to Craig's and Gabby's point about, you know, how you can't not start Gonzalo Ramos, right? You, you have to find a way. I just think that Morocco are such a type of opponent that when you don't have the aerial battle won from the first minute, 
when you can only rely on triangular passing, entering the final third and going wide, and then trying to expect the likes of Bruno, uh, Fernandes and Bernardo Silva and Vitinha later on, whatever, you know, trying to penetrate through the ground. You need a target man. Now, there's an argument to be made. Maybe at halftime, Ronaldo could have come in. And maybe there's an argument to be made that when he came on was perfect because he did have a glorious chance against Yasin Buna late in that game. I just think that strategically speaking, I would have probably started Ronaldo, but I don't think it would have mattered. This was a Moroccan wall that just wasn't allowing anything. I mean, I can't get over how amazing they were off the ball. It's remarkable. Definitely. And before I move on to ask Craig, actually, what, what next then for Morocco? Because we obviously know it's going to be England or France. Gabby, what's the reaction going to be tomorrow in Portugal and in the Portuguese press? How are they going to take this? They are going to take this, like I said before, as the end of an era. They're going to take it as a goodbye to Cristiano Ronaldo on the international stage. And then they're going to start to look ahead at what this Portuguese national team is going to look like under a new manager. The time, unfortunately, is up for Fernando Santos, who, like Craig said, uh, this did kind of feel like a vintage uh, FS match because uh, we've seen Fernando Santos in so many competitions and throughout his tenure be very pragmatic, very defensive, very conservative. Uh, and although uh, that Switzerland match was the exact opposite, I do agree in that it was an anomaly, but it shouldn't be moving forward. The next manager that steps up to take over the Portuguese national team needs to make do with this group of players that are not only young, but have so much attacking flair. We want to continue to see the best uh, of João Félix. We want to continue to see Rafael Leão shine. We want to see Gonçalo Ramos uh, continue to get inside of the penalty box and hit the back of the net. Uh, and so that's going to be what Portuguese fans are looking to. Who's the man to take over? Uh, to lead this new group into the future. And is I know it, you're going to ask it, me who it, it is, and I don't have the answer. <laughs> I would love it. Oh, this special one. I'm not sure it's going to happen yet, but I do think eventually uh, we will see Jose Mourinho step up to the plate. All right, Craig. So going forward then, this Moroccan side, we know it's going to be England or France. How do you think they're going to stack up against either one of those two? Well, I mean, in exactly the same manner would be, uh, would be the answer. Uh, to limit Spain and Portugal with such talented players to, to the chances that they had. I mean, yeah, I mean, Kelly and Mbappe, I mean, we don't know who it's going to be as we we're speaking. I mean, I think the majority would say France. I kind of have my doubts. I'm it's a bit of a 50-50 call, but both sides have got players with pace who like to run in behind, particularly Mbappe. Well, they haven't really left much space behind uh, uh, Morocco. You know, maybe... Portugal were hoping for those slick little one-twos and uh, those passes down the sides of the centre-halves that worked so well against Akanji and Shar in the Switzerland game and just didn't come off. So why change what's worked for you? Morocco will, will do no different and they're a threat in the counter-attack. Uh, we know the goalkeeper, uh, uh, the Portuguese keeper made a, a howler with the Nejri uh, goal. But these things happen. So, so yeah, I mean, semi-final of a World Cup, dreamland, could be one of the so-called elite nations in the semi-finals. Well, it will be, particularly if it's France. And if you're in that Moroccan hotel, you, you're fancying keep another clean sheet. Why wouldn't you? Nobody can, nobody can bloody well score against you. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it is just incredible. Semi-final of the World Cup, and not one player has put the ball in the back of their net from the opposing teams. That's phenomenal. 
Craig, I'm with you. It's going to be copy paste what they've done against Spain, what they've done against Belgium, what they just did against Portugal. Not only have they only conceded one goal in this World Cup run, but that actually dates back. It's one goal conceded. That was an own goal in their last nine matches. For me, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, who's going to get past Bunu, that Sevilla keeper that they call him Bono in Spain. I absolutely love them. Okay, we followed him for so, so long. Um, to see if Harry Kane or Kylian Mbappe can get the ball past him because he put on a stellar performance, uh, not only today, uh, but throughout this World Cup uh, run as well. And so I think he's been so key to this Moroccan national team's success. It's going to be juicy. One yeah, thing about, about Yassin Bounou, by the way, uh, <laughs> he's a River Plate fan. Like, he's a massive Argentinian fan. So can you imagine him against Argentina? Like, and when he speaks in Spanish, he has a very thick Argentinian accent, which makes him even more uh, exciting. So I I'm waiting for that one. Just very quickly, I think that Morocco would rather play England than France because at least France can be a little bit more reactive. England will find the same issues that Spain did, that Belgium did, and that Portugal did, I think. So it's going to be intriguing to see who they get. LME, we have to see if he drinks, we have to see if he drinks mate before his matches. <laughs> he definitely does. He definitely does. Craig, England, France, how do you see it going? Well, strangely enough, as a Scotsman and a former Scottish international, <laughs> I've got I've got I've got England down for a win, and it's it's wow. kind of, well, I, I think there's only myself and Julian Laurens out of the whole sort of crew. Uh, that has that, and uh, I think his is a bit of a double bluff because he's worried. And, and you know, I, I think obviously the, the whole Walker and Bappe thing has sort of grown arms and legs, but th th there's certainly a lot more to it than that. You know, when you look at Dembele and Griezmann and Giroud, who's broken the record, then you look at the fact it was the head scratcher of the tournament that Phil Foden wasn't playing uh, in the early group stages. Now he is, and we expect him to start along with Kane and Saka. And, you know, there was an argument for Rashford, but that's probably gone for the time being after that last performance. And, of course, uh, Jude Bellingham. So I think the midfield battle is key as well. And I think with Henderson probably coming coming back in or keeping his position alongside Declan Rice allows Jude Bellingham to get up and support and be a little, a little freer around the pitch. And we know how dangerous he's been. And, and one of the things, that, you know, clearly I think, England have a bigger Achilles heel at the back in Harry Maguire, who hasn't had a bad tournament to date, but we know he's lacking game time. And this is his biggest test by far. Now, I've played in big international games with guys who haven't played much at their clubs, and it's difficult. And I think if Maguire can overcome that hurdle at this stage of the competition, and that's a big if, I think England have more in their armoury in terms of the options up front. I know there's Mbappe, I know there's Griezmann, I know there's Coleman, I know there's Giroud. But England, you know, if it's not working for Foden, it's Rashford. If it's not working, it's Grealish. If it's not working, it's Sterling. Maybe it's Wilson. I mean, they have so much choice in those forward areas. I'm kind of leaning a little bit towards England. And you know what, Kay? If it doesn't come off, then England are out. And as a Scotsman, I'm not going to complain. It's a win-win for you, Craig. Well, I'm not. that's not my reasoning, Luis, but I'm just saying if it doesn't come off, it's not a disaster for me. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> right. I'm just going to quickly piggyback from what Craig just said. Uh, I completely echo everything that he just said, specifically the 
Harry Maguire part, and also the fact that England, you know, you just have to imagine them more of a Swiss army knife as opposed to France. They have England have a deeper bench than France, first of all, and I think that's going to be crucial depending on how long this game goes. Look, here's the way I see this in this game, England against France, okay? This game for England is one in the midfield. This game for France is one out of it. France needs to make sure that they don't create this sort of central midfield kind of battle between them because this midfield for England will be key. Alan Shearer said it really well. I've said it over and over again. Let's stop talking about Kylian Mbappé, which clearly is a massive force. But how about the fact that England have, just like Craig said, multiple weapons that can hurt you. And when you have a Harry Kane that's delivering without scoring, that's a very scary proposition. So this should be a fantastic matchup, of course, but I see England winning. Oh, what's your prediction, Gabby? Okay, I'm going with you. I'd never leave you hanging. I'm going to go England. <laughs> it's coming home. Now that Portugal's out, I need a new team. Uh, I'll go England full on. I, I agree. Harry Kane, a striker unlike any other uh, left in the World Cup and perhaps even since the beginning, uh, one of the best strikers in the entire competition. I do think that depth is going to play a huge role, just like Portugal, England's depth. The options off the bench are just astounding. And unfortunately, France, because of all their injuries, they just don't have uh, that element to their game. So I'm going to go England. Gabby, you know, I'm, I, I, Gabby, I have to say, I'll give them a win today, but it's not allowed to come home. <laughs> not allowed to come Even home. Even though England was Craig's home for many years, well, I'm, I'm, I'm and he giving, didn't have I'm, a horse in the race, he could have easily jumped on the England bandwagon, but I'm, decided not to. Eleven, I'm, I'm giving, I'm giving England to the semi-finals, and then some sort of glorious failure again. Let me tell you a short story. Let me tell you a brief story about it. When I was living in London and playing for Chelsea, and I played in Euro '96, I'm showing my age now. I shouldn't really do that. And that was the year, of course, the England manager, uh, Gareth Southgate, missed that penalty uh, in the semi-finals. But, you know, how painful would it have been at that point? My neighbour was the, uh, the goalie at Chelsea, Kevin Hitchcock. I was living in London. It was coming home. And not only that, but Tim Henman was going to win Wimbledon that year. Oh, my God. <laughs> it couldn't get any worse. England were bringing it home and Tim Henman was going to win Wimbledon. If that's not enough to what you make to the United, move to the United States, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, Craig, we know that you won't be rooting England done in this next game, but we are always here for the story time. And next time you're on the ESPN FC Daily, I think we need to bring that story back up about Bebeto as well, because honestly, that's been one of my favourite so far. But you guys will have to keep tuning in to the ESPN FC Daily to get that. Make sure you join us after England, France. We'll be doing this all over again. See you then.